Hello, Lion Click Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the Lion Click Thoughts Podcast. And in this episode, I get to interview Dwayne Byrne. Dwayne is a mentor of mine. He is someone who I've met over the years who's helped me um, just kind of see the value in certain things and also just see the value in, you know, focusing a little bit on uh, business in terms of uh, the food industry. Uh, you know, making me realize that if I want to be really successful, you have to be more than just a cook. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, uh, but this is something that I think so many cooks uh, don't hear. And I know I didn't hear it until I really met Dwayne, um, that it's great. Uh, you need to be passionate, but you also need to be smart with your decisions. And you need to be smart with how you look at the industry and how you hold yourself accountable. Um, I think at the end of the day, this conversation is about holding yourself to a higher standard, or at least expecting more out of yourself or knowing that you can't expect more of yourself. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation with Wayne. Uh, I really hope it brings value to a lot of the cooks out there. And yeah, he's just a genuine person who uh, has experience. And he, he's, through that experience, he's been able to give me great advice that's helped me along so far. So I just wanted to thank Dwayne for all the advice over the past couple of years. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. I hope you all enjoy. Hey, Dwayne, welcome to the Lion Cook Thoughts Podcast. How are you doing? Good. Thanks, Ray. Awesome. Uh, if you just want to introduce yourself, tell the audience a little bit about who you are, and we'll get into the questions. Uh, I'm Dwayne Brown, CEO and co-founder of Blueprint Consulting. We do uh, management, events, and hospitality consulting in the Hudson Valley region. All right. And what's it like uh, doing that in the Hudson Valley? Um. It's pretty good right now. There's a lot of uh, investment in the Hudson Valley region. We're in Poughkeepsie. Um, a lot of growth, a lot of um, real estate development. Um, so a lot of hospitality tourism is a main driver here. A lot of restaurants. Um, so it's exciting. There's a lot going on. Great. And um, we'll get into the story of how you kind of got to where you are. But I want to know, uh, where are you from? And what was food like for you, like the food culture like for you when you were growing up? Um, originally from Chantilly, Virginia, suburb of DC. Um, food was pretty much, um, you know, most home cooking was at grandma's house on holidays. Um, at home, you know, during the week. Um, I remember the first time my mom like made ramen noodles, noodles and noodles, right? Like she had to read the package to make sure she did it right. And I, I remember like like that was the new food stuff. And we were like, oh, wow, what is this? And my, my middle brother loved it. And it was just like a staple in my household for a while. PB&J, Kraft uh, macaroni and cheese. My dad would cook a little bit, but he would make, you know, liver and pig's feet and, you know, soul food classics which just smelled yeah. terrible to me, and I never ate them, but they were in my house and around my house, so I was familiar with it. Do you think you would eat them now? Like, if you... No, if you... I, no I still don't eat them. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. That's funny. I, I hear a lot of people, like, come on there, they always talk about how, like, their grandparents or parents make those things, and, like, now they crave them, but it's funny that you're just, like, the reverse of that. Yeah. No. So then what made you get into cooking then? Uh, because, I mean... For me, it took a while, especially. It seems like we had kind of the same food upbringing with, like, box macaroni and cheese and ramen noodles and whatnot. So, like, what got you into, like, the 
art side of cooking or like just cooking more than just making a box of mac and cheese? Um, most of it was, um, you know, experimenting as a kid and just having positive encouragement from my mom and fr- her friends. I remember, um, there was a show on PBS, um, called, I think it was chefs of America. Okay. And, um, oh no, yeah. Great chefs of America. And it came on PBS and it was like the, it was like the commercial cooking aspect of it. Like it was like restaurant cooking. And it, what intrigued me was like how they arrived at, you know, commercial cooking, like how they did it. It was really what was the driver for me. It wasn't so much the food itself or the ingredients or the recipes. It was this, you know, heavy stainless steel equipment and this industrial kitchen environment that intrigued me. Um, and that's kind of where it went from there. And I took a restaurant trades class in high school and then the rest was, was history. Really? Yeah, we, that's, we have the same thing as well. I took a trades class in high school as well. What was that experience like? Like for me, I know that was a big part of developing the actual, like want to be a chef. Like what was it like for you to have that experience in school? Um, what excited me most was that it wasn't home ec, mm-hmm. right? It was, we were doing food from scratch. We ended up having like a mock cafe and we served lunch to the, to the faculty members, the teachers could come eat lunch. And it was, it was full service. It was, you know, green beans, almond dean and chicken fricassee and, you know, fresh mashed potatoes from scratch. And we were doing tickets and calling orders and, and doing a la carte cooking, and it was just fascinating. Yeah, and um, was when you look back, like, do you think if you didn't do that, you would still be a cook? Yeah, no, I don't. No, I don't think I would be because I tried to go into like that was like in the early '90s when like graphic design and computers was really just starting to like bro and they I tried to like leave and go to this computer graphics class and I was sitting in front of this computer and it was just so foreign to me and I was like forget this man so I went back to the kitchen okay and so after high school I mean what were the first couple of years in cooking like for you and what were your goals I guess um after culinary school um it was kind of ambiguous right it was you know I quickly realized towards the end that like I was more of the people logistics side. I liked how it was done, but then I, I kind of got a taste of the money in the front of the house, honestly. Okay. Um, but I stuck with the kitchen for years. Um, my first gig, uh, entry level sous chef, um, for a hotel group went out to California. That was relatively short lived. Um, and then I found myself in the front of the house, um, and and kind of stuck there for a few years. Like that's where I found my real groove, basically. Was it interacting with guests or the pay, or like what really like made you want to stay front of house? Um, I think for the most part it was the autonomy. You know, I had my section, I could run it. I got to talk to people. Um, I like the efficiency of getting things for people quickly. You know, meeting guest needs quickly. Um, having had the, the cooking background, I could relate to the kitchen a little stronger. I felt like there seemed to be a little camaraderie there. Um, but it was, it was the autonomy and running my own like miniature project, if you will, my own section 
and having having control and oversight and being able to see like where a table was and anticipating guest needs and like bringing that refill before they even asked for it and having them be like, oh my gosh, like how do you even know that I wanted more of that? And I was like, kind of dialed into you. Like I'm paying attention to you. I want to serve you. Okay. What uh, I, I get the sense for a lot of cooks or a lot of people, I know when I was in school, a lot of people when they started to realize they wanted to do front of house more, a lot of them for a little bit at least felt like they were maybe selling out or like, because when you're cooking and you're like with cooks, in kitchens that I feel like are not well run, there's a big divide between front of house and back. And when people go to the front, they feel a little, maybe not like they're worried what other people will think. Did you have those thoughts or were you just like, you know, I'm going to do this. Like, this is my thing. Yeah. My, my response for that, because it came up and people would ask you, you know, like, what are you doing? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was, I was very intentional about working, uh, a year in the front of the house and then a year in the back of the house. If you look at my resume, I basically flip flop between the two for probably almost five, six years. Some, you know, somewhere was maybe 18 months or two years, but I made sure that once I, you know, did a stint in the front of the house, my next position, I was like, let me go in the kitchen for a while. Okay. To keep the balance. I felt that that was important for me because I didn't want to lose the culinary skill piece like being acclimated to the kitchen i didn't want to lose that okay and so you think it's important that every cook spends some time in the front of house i i mean i don't know i don't know i don't necessarily know that's it for everybody um it was this idea of being a a a well-rounded like restaurant professional basically being versed in both the front and the back um because it, it just helped balance everything out. Like, you know, when new techniques, new recipes. So you're in the kitchen, you're preparing it. And then when you flip to work in the front of the house, you could just articulate it that much better. And okay. it helped with your tips and everything. And then vice versa. Like, you knew the timing on dishes, right? Like, as a server, you're like, you know what? Don't order that. <laughs> like, maybe think about that. Like, consider this. Like, if you're trying to get out of here quickly, like, you should go with this or this, right? Yeah. Um, and people appreciated it and having having the knowledge. Um for for the for the cooks out there though, I don't I don't know if it's critical. I don't know if it's essential. Um, depending on what you wanna do. If you wanna own your own place, yes and no, but there's a lot of ways to go about that. So I, I can't say that's the best fit for everybody. Okay. But certainly something that helps you kind of gain more knowledge in the industry. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And so after the five or six years of flip-flopping, like what, like what next? Like, I guess, did, did you ever want to like do Michelin? Uh, Cause I know a lot of cooks, especially coming out of culinary school, want to get into the Michelin dining track. Was that ever a goal of yours to become a Michelin star chef? Yeah, no, I, you know, kind of strange way. Um, I felt like fine dining and this was in the nineties. I felt like fine dining had kind of run its course. That's okay. probably uh, honestly premature, right? Um, but now as I see a lot of, right, fine dining's never going away, right? But a lot of fine dining chefs are 
using quick casual and fast casual models because mm -hmm. of rent and labor shortage and all these things that put so much pressure on fine dining that right you have your your top tier michelin star right those are the exceptions that might you know um they're not the run of the mill right that's that super unique dining experience um, okay. so no i never aspired for the the michelin white tablecloth um status okay i know a topic i've talked on the show a lot about and one that i want to get your opinion on is like a lot of cooks especially younger cooks like myself i mean i was in this boat for quite some time i think that's the only uh only track you can go uh in terms of being successful and everything else is kind of like you know it, in my thinking everything else was not as prestigious or not as worth your time but then as you start to get more into the industry, you realize that there's so much out there besides fine dining. Um, what, like, I guess, how do we help people realize, like, the people that are just stuck in Michelin, that there's more to it than Michelin, that you, if it, if it's not truly you, like, there's other things out there for you. Because I feel a lot of people go into it, fail, and then, like, get really discouraged um, over it. I mean, I, I kind of equate, you know, Michelin to, right, the Olympics or the NBA, like, the ultra professionals, right? They're the, the top of the game and right. They're the ones setting the trends, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, your high end fashion, right? It's, it's the elite of the elite. And I think that that where that's where the recognition and notoriety goes. And that's where the, right. The price points higher, but you have a lot of phenomenal food all the way down. Right. Like, yeah. Um, I I think there are segments within the the chef or culinary industry, particularly from a career pathway standpoint. I think those that are interested in culinary should just consider a little more investigation on what's out there. So, like, think you know your Instagrammable food, right? You don't necessarily need to be Michelin, to produce some really amazing, tasty street food that you're doing great business with and people love it and, right, you, you, you've mm -hmm. got the quality there. Um, so I think it depends on, right, what the career goal or life goal is, what level of recognition anyone wants. Because, I mean, you know, Michelin isn't even necessarily a household name, right? It's it's yeah. an elite segment of, of society that really even knows what that is. So I think some of it's perspective, but if you're in the, the chef circles and in, in, in that field, right, that's the pinnacle. And I don't think that's going to go away or change necessarily. Um, I just mm. think that for the cooks that are like, Hey, I can't, maybe that's not for me or whatever. Um, find the space that they are, are naturally strong in. And, and find their lane, basically, within the world of, of being a chef. Okay. And what what are your thoughts on, like, I mean, before we go any further, what are your thoughts on, like, the Instagram chefs? I mean, I'm having my friend Kareem. He, he's going to be on the – well, it's not out yet, but the, after – when this goes out, it will be the podcast before this. And he cooks, but he also has this, like, side hustle where he puts up, you know, really beautiful food that he makes at home. He's got over 30,000 followers, like – I think it's a it could be a very lucrative business and I mean it is now but like even more for chefs like 
what are your thoughts on like social media and like the rise of like the Instagram chef? It's, it's amazing. Um, right. Like anything, the music, the art, the fashion, the photography, people that normally had were obligated to one platform or one area of exposure or, or one main newspaper in their town. Like all that's pretty much gone now. Right. Mm. Um, consistency is key, right? You have to be, you have to be a producer of content and the, you know, the more you can do that and, you know, you're giving people something of, of interest and of value. It's a phenomenal opportunity. I mean, just look at what's going on with, you know, your average person being able to build an influencer market uh, in a variety of artistic forms, right? Food being what we're talking about. Um, yeah. It's amazing. I say go for it. Um, I think I think understanding the, the, the need, the... I guess the requirements, right? Like it's, it's a business like anything else, like generating the volume of content um, is crucial. So I think going into it uh, with some foresight, with some planning is key, but by all means, a viable business strategy or an entrepreneurial strategy for sure. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think, I mean, obviously I'm doing it, uh, <laughs> but um. I think it's important to kind of look at things in that lens. And I know for me, for a while, it's like, I don't know if you remember our first conversations. For those of you listening who don't know, Dwayne has been a mentor for me throughout uh, my time so far. And basically, when we would talk, like, I feel like in the beginning, I was so focused on getting Michelin and getting stages. And then like the second half of our time together, I was more focused on how I could set myself up in a bit like, like, not only financially, but like, in a place where I could thrive if I wanted to run my own business and invest in things like what, what made you start thinking like that? Because it's very rare to have someone like that in the food industry. Um, it, it, it became a couple things. One, a question of value. And there, there were years where I was, uh, I felt undervalued. I felt I was underpaid. I think I was. And it was somewhere around 2002, 2003-ish. I was working at a restaurant, and the owner um, had a very successful restaurant. I helped him open. He opened up a new concept, and he wanted daily specials. And I, this, was, this is where it started. And... I would ask for a raise and he was like, yeah, sorry. Nope. Can't give you a raise. But he would come to me repeatedly every day for uh, creative ideas, yeah. original, right. Creative, original dishes that he would profit from. And I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute, man. I went to school for this. I'm creating this. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the research and investigation in my off time. Like, I'm not like looking up recipes while I'm prepping. Right. I'm, I, I'm I'm pouring in, right? And I was like, wait, I'm not receiving any additional compensation for it. And it and so I literally I stopped. I said, I said to the owner, I said, I'm not giving you any I said, I'll cook your specials, but I'm not gonna create them and give them to you. Yeah. And interestingly, he was like, Yeah, you're right. 
like you're probably not being paid what you're worth. Still didn't give me a raise. <laughs> but he came up with the specials and he started to ask other younger cooks and that sort of thing. And that's when I realized, oh, wait, I actually had some, I guess, I guess power, like some, some say over my, my being, right? The value that I was creating. And that's when it really started. It took years to get to where our conversations led to with the idea of business acumen for chefs. But for many years, right, if you look at any other product or service, there's a tangible value and then there's a copyright or trademark on that particular value. And the original creator retains some ownerships of that, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Royalties, that sort of thing. I'm going, wait a minute, man. All these all these food, all these dishes, um, and in some cases, it's not necessarily a totally original concept, but I think the eye still holds true in that if I create a special and there's a certain number of portions and there's a premium price put on that, and that is in this, the Blackboard specials is what is keeping people coming back on Thursday nights and this one chef or line cook is producing that, I'm going, wait a minute, man. That's an original yeah. concept, right? That that's the thing. Take that out of the equation. What happens to overall right revenues or sales? Right? So knowing your value, um, knowing your worth. Yeah, totally. Totally. That's where it started. All right. And so like what's your advice then for cooks who like I mean, I know I felt the same way. I felt like I honestly until we talked, I felt like I was going to be in the machine of cooking and like cooking and cooking and cooking and then maybe one day I have a shot of being something in the industry and then you kind of open my eyes and were like wait like I can do my own thing I can do my own path however I want and I'll be successful if I'm staying true to myself and like you know just understanding my value and my worth and you were a big proponent helping me find that how how do you like think like I know a lot of folks are going to hear this and then they're just going to like go back to like not like really like understanding it like how do you think you can make it understood for everyone like that they have value and that they can expect more in an industry where we try to squeeze as much as out of as much out of people as we can and not in a bad way, but it's just like, that's the industry. Like, that's how it is. Like, how do we get away from that? Or at least yeah. help people. Here's, here's what I observed in my years on the line. I would inevitably, wherever I went, right. San Francisco, Boulder, Orlando, D.C., New York, uh, Austin. I'd run in. I'd get the the line cook. I'd be on the line, and I'd be working next to some cat that was, you know, 10, 15 years older than me, maybe went to culinary school, maybe didn't, and was was grinding out dishes night after night, living the life with this dream of opening their own restaurant. Working, working doubles to save the money for the food truck, et cetera, et cetera. What I observed was that those individuals or that mindset of philosophy of like, oh, I have to pay the, these dues, right? Um, I have to master everything. Um, prevented those individuals from building their professional network and having the visibility they needed for the investment to start the restaurant. This, I, I guess what I'm saying is, don't be so independent 
And don't be so close-minded as a line cook for the dream or aspiration to recognize your value, right? This, you know, Kwame Onowache talks about it in his book, this idea of who you pay and dues to, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's what it is. There's like this, uh, I don't know, I guess maybe it's come from the brigade system or whatever, but it was this sense of like, if line cooks spent 50% of their time dedicated to the line and the other 50% gaining visibility and producing something of value for others. They would achieve one recognize their, their self-worth and value sooner because they would get an immediate response from individuals that were tasting their food or whatever, mm. or doing a, a, a demo or a class at a high school or whatever, right? Whatever they're doing to get visibility it's going to reinforce the value because they're going to get immediate feedback. Whereas when you're on the line and you're grinding it out every Friday and yeah, you've done 300 covers, but the odds you, in most cases, unless you're in an open kitchen, you never see the response from the customers. Yeah. And so this idea of the value you created, it's diminished, right? It's, we don't become aware of it. And therefore it doesn't develop within ourselves as line cooks. We know it's there, but we don't actually actually experience it in a lot of cases. So I think that's the the piece there. It's it's the visibility that helps a line cook recognize their the value that they're contributing to society or community through food that then translates into this, wait, I can actually write the confidence mm-hmm. um, and the feedback to be able to refine what they're doing and then move it over to like the business piece. Okay. And like, it's just, and that example you gave me, I've seen before, like a lot of like older cooks who are like, have these plans still of opening the restaurant, but like they're just not making the move. Like what, like how important is it in your opinion for cooks to just do something? Like for me, like I'm doing the podcast or like I'm doing the Instagram, like how important is it for like a cook to just do something to start building their own legacy and their brand? It's crucial. It's crucial. Okay. I mean, um, it's it's the number one priority. Again, it takes time and discipline. I will say that. Um, but so the other thing, the other challenge is, uh, you know, everyone can't necessarily run plumbing in their house. Everyone can't necessarily change their oil or change an alternator in their car. They're, they they know that that's out of their wheelhouse. But your average person is like, I'm a pretty good cook, right? Like, how hard could it be, right? Your food enthusiasts, like, they totally know, like, wait, there's a technique, there's a process. They have a little more respect to it. But your average person and their own mind Sometimes cooking isn't so much an area of expertise. So that's yeah. that's one thing that is, I will say, a little different about our industry in terms of how it's viewed within the context of society and the area of expertise. And that's why, like, the Michelin does what it does, because very few people can attain or perform at that level. So, so there is that. Um, I sorry I deviated. Re- no, rephrase your rephrase like I was on there, but rephrase the the line cooks. Oh, and producing content, right? Yeah, yeah. So it comes back to this visibility piece. 
So my point was in in the in the line on the kitchen, no one sees you. Maybe you're in an open kitchen and those chefs will tell you they can they could chime in and be like, yeah, you start getting tips. You start sharing business cards. People start inviting you to their homes for their their private whatever, because you have the visibility. And so if you're on the line, you have some aspirations for your own business. Um, visibility is key, whether you blog, whether you do a podcast, whether you're going to a local social services office and doing a demo on healthy eating. Whatever you can do on in your spare time or on your time off to have people actually see you perform your craft is crucial. It's important. It's highly valuable. Yeah, I think. I mean, I just want to know what it's what it's like, like you looking back now, because when you were coming up and cooking, uh, like you didn't have Instagram or Facebook where you could like have something on the side that you could really like work on. Like now that we have all this, like, like what is your like? Do you look back and wish you would have had all this like at your fingertips to just post, hey, I'm working with this vegetable today? I feel like, especially someone like you, if you had Instagram or Facebook back then, you would have had a lot of hustle in terms of working on stuff on social media. Well, I for us, so I, I was on the line from like 92 to like mid 2000s and so Mm -hmm. for us the equivalent was food network so that was like other than like your you know julia child justin wilson stuff on pbs food network was really the game changer like that was the equivalent now everyone couldn't get there obviously but it did something with in terms of like when I was at an omelet station, when I was at a carving station at a wedding, when I when I was walking around in my chef coat between shifts or whatever, I started to get a different response from people. Um, okay. it, 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 so I don't necessarily wish that it was was there per se. I, you know, I, it's kind of it is what it is, if you will. But the the caveat of the Food Network started to give chefs that exposure and notoriety that wasn't there before. And when you when I told people about it, it, it garnered a different level of conversation and respect and intrigue that wasn't there before. At the okay. time, for me, there wasn't anything to actually do with it in terms of business. But society started to take a, a different vantage point. And now with these tools, these platforms, you can introduce audiences to your food like never before from your, your apartment or whatever. Even some of these underground restaurants that are going on, like people are getting, so the flip side is that is a lot of people are getting really creative without using much of the social media, right? Their stuff is very niche, it's low key, it's high end, and it's, it's within their network and it's for a very specific group of 10 or 12 people. And they don't want a lot of visibility. Mm-hmm. They, right? So there's that spectrum. Again, that's relatively new, but it's interesting in how chefs are approaching building their own platforms and and tools they're using and intentionally not using. Okay. As, because the flip side is with the Instagram piece, once I see it as a chef, I can pretty much replicate it. 
right? Okay. So it's all about so like I'm gonna I'm gonna increase my competition. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's like all about like the kind of one upping yourself and being able to keep creating original pieces to who you are. Right. And that was the question um I think I had. So I know we're talking about like how a cook becomes or how like what cooks should be doing outside of the station like outside of their work. But I feel like a lot of cooks like only think about like station and the night before or the night ahead and like the prep they have to do. What um when like so you you had the example when you were working and all of a sudden you realized you had value. When did you start to realize like in your head like that it was more than just cooking? Like the industry or being a chef is more than just putting food out and that you have to be responsible for more than that. And like, what was that transition like for you? Was it like, were you nervous? Were you scared? Was it like, what were your thoughts on it? Now that really didn't come until I was in my role um, with the opportunity to like advise students and, and provide the hindsight um, that, that it, that came way later. Um, and, but like, had I not gone through those experiences, right, you wouldn't be able to offer the hindsight. And then having walked through being a young, tw- aspiring 20, 21 year old chef and understanding how the game is played, right? Like, it's a hyper competitive environment, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the chef that you're working for, <laughs> right? wants a profitable, you know, reputable business with repeat repeat clientele and they they want customers to come eat at their restaurant and not the other person down the street, right? Like yeah. And they need as many quality cooks and staff to execute that vision as possible. And so um you, you got to kind of, you know, I understood the layers of complexity of competition in the industry to be able to give young chefs things to consider that you wouldn't have the foresight to know because you hadn't gotten there yet. So that's when it really hit. And I started to see like, oh, wait a minute. Our industry doesn't treat food so much the same way as other, right, margin profit items, right? Like Mm -hmm. you take raw ingredients, you add value to them, you refine them, you sell it at a profit. Our industry didn't really, from a line cook perspective, embrace that. And we were always, uh, we were always challenged, always challenged with this idea of like low wages, suppressed wages, the whole labor market piece with immigrant labor is a whole nother kind of tangent on that. But um, I just saw this deficit, a multi-billion dollar industry, everyone has to eat, yet the people that are producing these you know, highly technical dishes in some cases aren't reaping the same level of reward as, say, other industries of specialization. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's a right? big, Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I talk about on the podcast a lot. I, it's, and that's what you opened my eyes to. Like, and that, like, that's why I wanted to have you on the show so bad is, and I know we keep talking about value as a cook, but, um, like, that's so important. Like, and people don't realize, like, you deserve more than just, like, below minimum wage sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it blows my mind how there's so much out there for everyone, yet we, either through ourselves or others, we, we like, hold it back what we could potentially have or what we should earn. 
so let me let me add this in though, because this right in terms of equity of this conversation. The the young line cook or chef also has to under this is when we talked about business acumen. If as a cook, I just think I should get paid more because I'm exceptional, busted notion, like that's not what that's not what I'm saying. The 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 value piece is it really makes sense when as a cook you know where and how you can contribute to maximize the bottom line for that operation. When you can have that conversation, then you can can ask for or i.e. demand a higher wage, right? Um, it's proportional to the value that you're creating and that you know you can create, right? So if I know that I'm creating specials day after day and week after week, and it's a certain percentage of the sales for that night, there's some value gain there, right? What would sales be without those specials, without those ideas, and without my unique concepts? Let's have a different conversation. If you're just showing up doing your job as a line cook, hey, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna you're gonna, yeah, you're a valuable human person, individual. Yes, you can you can cook really fast. It's great. That's not what I'm saying, right? That's not where. We're talking about how are we creating increased profits and revenues or sustaining profits and revenues as line cooks and what we're contributing to, right? Front of the house, you get a percentage of the sale based on your level of service. And I, somewhere we arrived at that percentage is a justification for the, you know, $800 bottle of wine at the high-end restaurant, right? Like, wait, where's that come from? Like, right, that server had nothing to really do with producing that value in terms of the bottle of wine they just presented it and served it yet their compensation is based on that dollar value yeah the cook not so much no and that's another thing it's like at the same token like i'll always like i always want people to get paid what they're due but like like you said if you're just going to come in and like do the bare minimum and feel like you have no other responsibility and like you don't think like you should have to work more for it then like obviously you're not going to get where you want to go like i think that's a big thing for that i realized too from you and from a lot of other people who have helped me along so far in my career is like it takes work like at the end of the day like you just have to work you have to you have to put the time in you have to go and maybe not pay dues in terms of like grinding and abusing yourself in that sense but there is definitely like a correlation with you putting in more work and getting rewarded more in this industry. And I think that's why I like it so much that like someone like you, you said you were on the line for like 10 years and like you, you're able to like have what you want. Now. Like you're able to do certain things and, you know, be who you want to be. And like, I feel like as long as you work hard in this industry, you'll always get rewarded in that way. And I think that's what I enjoy about it the most. Right. I think that's, that's true. And the more I think business minded a line cook is, the, and doing the smart work or the right work helps add to that conversation. Okay. Uh, what are um, what are some business tips then you could give to someone going to school? Or what like what are some tips you could give? Like, say someone who just graduated uh, culinary school, or someone who's young in the industry and wants to take like a major next step. Like, instead of just going straight for the Michelin Kitchen, like, what are some tips you would give them in terms of researching and? looking at different programs and like just finding out who they want to be in the industry. I think the, I think the main thing is, um, 
working through and and finding for the individual self where where they want to be right like so a, a different way to put it is a, a a lot of folks that I talk to have a a, a somewhat like almost fantasy kind of like whimsical movie like perception or or framework for their career and what they want to do in life and i'm saying i'm like hey that thing that idea that's going to save the planet like that's a great idea mm-hmm. but i guess the rubber needs to meet the road right um understanding business acumen uh uh understanding the the business ecosystem in the city where you work understanding how that business or restaurant that you're going into or or a segment of the industry that you want to enter into how does it actually financially sustain itself what where does the rubber meet the road in terms of keeping the doors open and the lights on for that business and then do the fun fun stuff because at the end of the day those primary drivers the revenue drivers determine a lot of the culture the business decisions the work environment the hours right management's philosophy on on priorities management's philosophy on an individual's performance and contribution to being promoted or getting a raise right the as a line cook, really harness the sense of where you fit in and where you're contributing to that restaurant or that food operation or, or food entity beyond just the tangible food product itself that's going on the plate. If it, For those that want to grow in advance, right? Mm-hmm. That's the conversation to be had. And I find that that's what's largely lacking um, in some instances in terms of like career goal, career development kind of making dreams come to reality frankly okay awesome and um i mean so my next question i know we're getting near the end of questions but uh what uh like what has made you so willingly because i know in this industry sometimes it can be difficult to find a mentor or someone like like you've been to me what has made you so willingly to be able to accept calls come on podcasts be able to just help um the next generation of cooks such as myself like really understand what's to come and what like try to walk us through what um, needs to be done. Cause like you have spent countless hours on the phone with me, just like talking about my next moves or like talking about what I should be doing, like, or what I should be aware of. And like, I'm not a lot of people would do that. So what makes you compelled to do that? Um, I, you know, it's, I, I guess it's the proverbial like pay it forward kind of thing. Like, I've had a few, you know, coaches, people, cheerleaders, people in my corner um, that that were really, I mean, some weren't even in the food industry, but they were just there with encouragement and support and um, they cared, basically. Um, if I can provide some context on my experience in the culinary industry or food service industry, 
that can help someone else achieve their their dreams basically um and and not trip over or prolong the experience right or the journey i'm like that's when it feels good man right when you know folks call me up and they're like hey man we took that advice to heart and it actually worked (laughs) right um (laughs) one example right the I was like, hey, you, you know, if you're going to work for an independent restaurant chain or a mom and pop, you should probably get a, a, you know, some kind of contract in place to define the terms of your working relationship in terms of hours and overtime and expectations. You, know, you should probably do that. Oh, we can do that. Absolutely. Of course you can do that. Right. You're an autonomous <laughs> individual and you're making a right. This is a business agreement. You're going to provide culinary expertise to someone that doesn't have it, that wants to open a restaurant and you do you want to work 70 hours a week and uh, without any additional compensation? No, you should probably put a contract in place. And if they don't aren't willing to contract, they're probably not taking you seriously and you should go and look for another employer, right? And they come back and they yeah. tell you it actually worked and they were able to hold the agreement in place. And I'm like, yeah, like that's when it feels good, man. Like you help people. Uh, for me, it's helping people, man. Um, okay. If if any insight or glean or example or, you know, like most people, I think, um, that's why I do it, man. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for obviously taking the time with me and everyone else you've helped. And, you know, it means a lot. And I don't think you realize how, like the advice you give sometimes when I call you and like the advice you give me, like really helps me refocus. It almost is like, I'm like in my head a lot and overthinking things and you help me like, so you refocus on the bigger picture. So it's great to like have, the opportunity to call you. Um, I want to ask you uh, one more thing before we get into like more like the, like, I guess less heavy que- or serious questions, but like what, uh, who is a mentor that you looked up to in your career? Who is someone who like changed the way you looked at the industry? I don't know if you even had one or. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Clay Doubleday. Um, he's my mentor through high school. Um, and uh, he he was my coach uh, during uh, a CCAP careers through culinary arts program competition for two years, and you know he was there right my junior and senior year of high school, and I'm you know thinking about girls and this and that and the other thing, and he's like, hey man, you need to do your homework, <laughs> right? You need to make sure your GPA is good so you can get the scholarship next year. You know, hey, here's how we're gonna go into the competition. Here's what you need to do. Um, I didn't make it up on my own. I think that's the other thing about success is that mentorship is key. Um, I had one, I still have them. Um, they provide that insight and perspective to help you, you know, stay on track, man. Yeah. It's, I mean, for me, a mentor is so helpful in terms of just like, giving you that other perspective that you never would have had. I think that's what you're good at doing as well. It's just giving the perspective that maybe you didn't think about. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. Well, I just thought before you get out of here, I just wanted to ask you like what food excites you now? Like what are some restaurants or dishes that you've had lately that have just been like exciting to you or maybe what in the food industry is exciting you the most? Wow. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. I know we've been watching Kwame a lot, so he's definitely, definitely one. Um, 
you know, his book and whatnot. But I don't know if there's like any other chefs or any other restaurants that like really caught your attention in terms of. Oh this- yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a restaurant. I haven't been there yet. It's called kitchen cray. Um, it's in uh, Maryland outside of DC. Um, a, a friend shared their Instagram post. It's uh, uh, from what I can gather. It's a group of a restaurant group of maybe four or five, you know, African-American chefs. And I mean, they're doing super decadent Southern soul food cuisine, right? I mean, um, it, it looks just, it, it just looks delicious. The, it's not anything necessarily super, the, the dishes look great, uh, but they're traditional, like they're familiar. Like you, you, when you see the shrimp and grits, you're like, oh, that's shrimp and grits. It's just done exceptionally well, right? Um, that's, that's been the one that's really caught my attention. It's like when I'm in back in DC, I got to go check them out. Like that's going to, that's definitely on my, my radar called kitchen cray. Okay. Yeah. Then I had to look that up. It sounds like it would be an interesting spot to go. Eat yeah. At. Um, yeah. Well, I think that concludes everything. I just, I end my interviews with the same question uh, since episode one is, uh, what does it mean for you now to be a part of? The Line Cook Nation, a community of cooks to like better educate themselves, empower themselves, and just be more connected with each other. Um, it, it's an honor. It's encouraging, and uh, I'm I'm honored to still be considered um, in the club, if you will. Right. Usually, once you know you, you either career out or age out, or you get a desk job, or you know you were once a line cook, it's like oh that was then. You know, you kind of lose your credentials after a while or anything. But um, it's thank you for having me and I'm glad I could provide some insight. You know, the industry has changed a lot. Um, Chefs are are doing a lot more with less in some ways. Um, But uh, I do miss it at times Um, when every, you know, when the timing and, and everyone's in sequence together when it's, you know, that sweet spot of production. I do miss that, but um, it means a lot to be able to give back and hopefully inspire and encourage and give some uh, insight and context to a young aspiring chef. Well, thank you so much, Dwayne, for coming on. It's been a pleasure, Ray. Talk to you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So there you have it, the interview with Dwayne Brown. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed it. Um, like I said, this is something that I think a lot of cooks should hear and be aware of. And, you know, if you have any more questions, you know, feel free to message me. Um, I know Dwayne is someone who is always willing to give advice. So if, you know, if there's anything you want uh, clarified or anything, just let me know. But, um, yeah, it's been – it was a great conversation, and I'm so excited uh, for the years to come where I have to ask Dwayne for some more advice and – to see what he says. Uh, Thank you all so much, and we'll see you on the next Lion Cook Thoughts episode.